The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to the Guys and Tights podcast. This is Dustin. I've got Rob on the phone. And first off, we would like to apologize for having lives beyond the podcast and we haven't gotten one out in a while but rob what have you been up to how are you doing i'm good man yeah you know we're a uva sports podcast and i actually made the move to charlottesville uh about two weeks ago now so that's one weekend at least (laughs) reason why we didn't get a podcast out we did it for Um, the did it for the podcast yeah longer term yeah so yeah, no, I, I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, getting settled in here. How about yourself? It's it's been it's been crazy. I uh, school school is out for three weeks, and then I was traveling a lot, so just trying to settle back in. And you know, our schedules didn't really line up over the past month, so I've missed talking about UVA sports to the to the audience. I I uh, it's. You know, it's been weird because there's so there's a lot that's happened since our last podcast. The last podcast was when Bronco resigned kind of unexpectedly. We didn't get one out for Tony Elliott getting hired. We didn't get one out when UVA lost to JMU and the sky was falling. And we didn't get one out when we beat Clemson and Syracuse on the road. So it's uh it's been a kind of a wild month for UVA sports. Oh, bowl game gets canceled. That was a whole nother yeah. thing. So it's been a wild month in UVA sports, but we're going to try and cover some of it and a lot of it's been hashed out right now, but there has been some exciting news that's happened today. Rob and I had already planned to do a podcast today, but we've had uh, two big pieces of news for U- uh UVA football and then we're just going to talk about how mediocre UVA basketball has been this year with the caveat that the win against Tech last night was very exciting. So we'll get into it. But first, we would like to talk about our sponsor from Spotify Greenroom. Spotify Greenroom is a live audio-only sports talk platform. It is free to download and free to use. You can talk to other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It is perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. All you need to do is download Spotify Greenroom app for free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join whatever groups you want. Come and download Spotify Greenroom today. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. They wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. So, Rob, let's start with football. Two big pieces of news. What do you want to start with? Uh, do you want to start on the defensive side of the ball or the offensive side of the ball? 
Let's start with the one that is brand new here, yeah. because this broke about half an hour before we hopped on and started recording tonight, and that is the return of Brennan Armstrong. And man, I mean, couldn't be happier. And that video, <laughs> it's funny, I actually watched the video before I saw anything else on Twitter, and I was scared, man. He's talking about the NFL, and obviously would have wished him the best, but man, for about a hot second there, that seemed like he was going to the draft. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Brennan Armstrong returns for his fifth year and man, we got to be excited about him in this Tony Elliott offense, man. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him next season. Yeah. You know, if we can find anyone to play offensive line for him, that would be great. But it is, <laughs> I, I'm really excited he's back. He had a fantastic year. It was a little marred by injury, you know, at, during the BYU game and he missed a game as well, but he was fantastic the entire year. His accuracy was so much better. He showed the deep ball. He put some zing on the on the short balls. He could run. And he he did really well to create opportunities when, you know, in the past we haven't had quarterbacks who could always do that. And I honestly th- I mean, he's the best thrower I've seen in UVA football since probably Schaub. Uh, just in, with like true quarterback talent. I don't know if you agree with me on that, but but I think he can make all the throws. And so I'm excited to see him come back next year, get a little bit more feedback from NFL scouts, and hopefully get some Heisman attention because, I mean, on, I, I think, frankly, he should based on the stats he put up this year. Yeah, you know, it's – I mean, the stats were great, and he was amazing. I think – you know, you're never really going to get Heisman buzz when your team is six and six. But mm-hmm. man, I mean, he was every bit as good as any quarterback in the country this year. And, you know, it's been so long since we've had a podcast that, you know, we kind of have to rehash everything that happened before then. And we knew Brennan Armstrong was either going to go to the draft or that he was going to come back. And, you know, even when Anai and Jason Beck went up to Syracuse, obviously Brennan Armstrong's been in that offense for four years. He made it clear it was draft or it was UVA. And it kind of kept us on our toes here for a little bit. I think the deadline to declare for the draft is January 17th. So he only had a few more days to make this decision. So anyway, I'm really excited for this because he obviously put up great numbers last season. And, you know, he was really good the second half of 2020 too. And I think what probably happened is he just wasn't getting the draft love but frankly, I think he should have got it. You know, mm-hmm. every mock draft, every, uh, you know, big board for quarterbacks has him like eight through 10 range. Frankly, I think he's deserves to be a lot higher than that. But that's yeah. eventually where NFL scouts were putting him. And I think a big part of that is just the fact that he has played in that spread air raid type offense that we've seen the past two years, but especially the past year. And those quarterbacks are always discounted a little bit because they're not asked to read uh, the defense the way that NFL quarterbacks are. Mm-hmm. So I think going into a more hybrid power scheme that Tony Elliott runs, I think it's going to be really good for him because there's going to be a lot of the same concepts, um, you know, in the underneath passing game. He's not going to be stretching it as much vertically next year, but I think he's going to get a chance to work on a lot of the things that NFL scouts want to see from him. Yeah. And I know Eric McClain, um, the ACC network host, he was a Clemson guy, played under Tony Elliott. He said he thinks, you know, Brennan Armstrong's draft stock is going to go up 
because of the opportunity to play in this offense. And, you know, it's hard to disagree. He's a great, great player, and I'm really excited for next year. And, I mean, and he's the leader of the team. I mean, he was a captain two years yeah. ago as well, and as well as this year. And so he, you know, having him come back, I think really shows faith in the new hire. And it show. I hope it, it encourages other players who are maybe on the fence to to give Tony Elliott a chance and to see where he can take this program. I I want to say I saw Elliott at the basketball game. I think it was um shoot, oh it was the Clemson game that we got blown out in at home. And I I came out saying that Tony Elliott was the best thing that happened in that game. I I thought his talk with the crowd was really encouraging. He sounded excited to to take on the challenge of leading this program and trying to bring it, you know, continue to bring it up from where Bronco was, was doing so. And he seems like a great guy. And I'm really excited to see his demeanor on the sideline and how he acts as a head coach. And, you know, as much as I love Bronco and as much as I disliked Mike London, if you could like mesh them a little bit more with like the coaching style of Bronco and some of the emotion of London, I think it would have been a perfect coach. And so I'm hoping I want, I'm, I don't know. I, I really haven't looked into this at all, but I'm hoping Elliot can bring a little bit more, you know, I don't think passion's the right word. Cause I think Bronco is very passionate about football, but a little bit more emotion. Cause I think it's really helpful for fans to see how it's going. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, I think we're out there saying we're pro Bronco podcast. Mm -hmm. I was sad to see him go. And again, as we said, like we kind of expected this was going to come at some point. We just didn't really know when. Turns out to be a bit sooner um, than we had expected. That's Bronco's resignation, that is. But yeah, Tony Elliott brings a lot of similar qualities um, and also, you know, some things that Bronco admittedly was lacking a little bit. And I think you know, you touched on the big one as far as just emotion. I mean, do you want to call it energy? Maybe I don't really mm-hmm. know, but Bronco was very stoic, you yeah. know, and he, I think that was fine. I've got no problems with that. And honestly, you know, <laughs> I think we were both very frustrated with the Mike London era here yes. at UVA. And it was kind of nice to have that professionalism, that yeah. sense of like a commander in charge. Um, but maybe where it didn't manifest itself as much was on the recruiting trail. I think, mm. you know, people would generally agree it probably would have benefited the program if Bronco was a bit more involved in recruiting. So anyway, Tony Elliott is hitting the phones hard. Um, we know that they're making tons of offers to kids. And I think what's going to help a lot to start actually bringing kids maybe back from the portal or kids that are in the portal to UVA or bringing high school recruits before the late signing day period in February. What I think is going to help with all of that is getting the staff in place. And the next big piece of news we had today was the announcement of our defensive coordinator, John Radzinski. And I know you and I have been talking about this. This was a long time coming, getting like a defensive coordinator in place because yeah. it has taken a while. Yeah, it's been a while. And, you know, it it didn't it, I mean, it kind of came out of the blue that it happened today. But, you know, this is a guy that or, I mean, defensive coordinator is a position that has been unfilled for a while. And. You know, frankly, it was the most pressing thing that this team could have, except, of course, for Brennan coming back. And I I just, you know, a lot of people were kind of 
frustrated that it was taking this long, but I I'm happy that we got who we got. And Rob, would you uh, explain some of the things about our new hire that excite you? Sure. So first and foremost, scheme. I think it's going to be a return to a three-four defense. I think you know there's some hybrid elements to it. You know, I really want to have a chance to dig in a little bit more on the defensive scheme, but at the bare minimum, it is going to be a 3-4 alignment, which is what we've been used to the past few years. That's what Bronco and his staff ran Mm -hmm. their first five years in Charlottesville before switching to the 3-3-5 last year. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that alone, just bringing that extra man into the box, will at minimum help against the run defense. Um, The other big thing with him is that he's been really good. And the stats prove it out. Um, you know, some I saw some people tweeting like some analytics metrics that prove it out. But John Rosinski is considered a top defensive coordinator in college football. And yeah, he was at Air Force, which doesn't necessarily play the strongest schedule. And yeah, you know, at the service academies, they run triple option offenses. So what does that mean? It means that your offense is on the field longer because you're running the ball that you own time of possession. So yeah, maybe the stats are a little bit skewed um, when, if he, for example, if he, his offense was like the UVA offense that was on Mm -hmm. the field so quick, but just looking at the stats from last year, total defense air force was fourth and the entire FBS 130 teams. Uh, Here we are passing defense. They were 19th and rushing defense. They were ninth. So this is a defense that has a improved each year. He's been the defensive coordinator. I think he's been the defensive coordinator there for four or five years now. And B performs at a high level, both against the run and against the past. And I mean, you think about it going, go back to 2020, for example, this UVA defense was actually pretty, pretty darn good against the run, yeah. but against the pass, they really struggled. And that, you know, led to the switch to the three, three, five, which struggled against everything. So you know, I think what we're going to see here is a balanced defense. And I think that's the hope is that um, he's going to be able to produce that on the field here in Charlottesville. Yeah, no, I and that's what I, I think a lot of people are hoping that too. And, you know, we we did have success with the 3-4. And when Bronco came in and kind of switched to that, you know, it was a little rough starting out, but we finally got our groove, you know, especially in 2019 when we went to the Orange Bowl. And so I think that I'm excited and I, I hope a lot of other people are excited too to see that the defense, you know, take a, or not take a step back, but go back to what we are kind of used to under Bronco. And I'm hoping that, you know, some of the players stick around a little bit more in order to see, you know, where we're going and how we can, how we can get there. Yeah. And, you know, I know some fans were really hoping for the return of a 4-3 or a 4-2-5, mm-hmm. you know, at minimum a four-man front. Yeah, And, you know, some people, I mean, especially, um, you know, people who were fans of the Mike London defenses, and a four-man front is just more traditional in general in college football regardless. But what I think we're going to see with um, Brzezinski and this defense that he's bringing is I think it's going to be pretty multiple. And, you know, I say this with a huge grain of salt, but, you know, just from what I've seen so far watching him, it reminds me somewhat of a Bill Belichick coach defense and that 
it seems to change game over game a decent amount mm-hmm. and that, you know, they're really adjusting and, you know, some games, the linebacker, that fourth linebacker is going to be more out in coverage. Other times it's going to be more blitzing. I think he's going to do a good job adjusting to the personnel we have here in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited about that. I think, you know, bringing in a credible name like him, someone who's nationally recognized onto your football staff as the defensive coordinator, a unit that struggled the past two years, especially. And then following that up, or um, that's the follow-up to bringing in Des Kitchings as your offensive coordinator. And I mean, that was a really, really good hire. Mm -hmm. You know, he was running back coach for the Falcons, previously offensive coordinator at NC State. I mean, that's, it's pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm happy with the staff and we can dive into the rest of the staff here momentarily, but I was curious if you have any thoughts, you know, on John Rodzinski or, you know, even going further into the staff in general that we're starting to see put together. I, I'm just, I'm just happy that, you know, we seem to be getting the people that we won and getting the people that are going to make this program, you know, the best that it can be. I love seeing the UVA guys on this staff. I love seeing Hagen still there. I love seeing Sintum and, uh, I, who the last one the uh edge edge rush um slade chris slade um i love seeing all of them and so i am i I just i just i think it's great that elliot is bringing in the uva people who are part of this program and who will make this program successful i think so too and i think what we're seeing here in this staff is kind of a shift in philosophy. You know, you think to the way Broncos staff was set up, I think there was a huge focus on player development. Mm -hmm. And I think that manifested itself and the way they recruited, quite frankly. You know, the idea, it was very, um, you know, not not traditional, I guess, is the best way they structured recruiting. And that typically coaches um, recruit geographic regions but the way broncos staff was set up is that coaches recruited their position so they might be recruiting a player in georgia but then the next week have to fly out to california for this other player they're recruiting Mm -hmm. that's most likely going to be different here so i think des kitchings is really emphasizing ties you know not only in the state of virginia but up and down the east coast Mm -hmm. i think you see that with des kitchings i think when you think about the guys from the broncos staff that he kept around they were probably generally perceived as the strongest recruiters, that being Marcus Hagens, 2J, and Clint Senum. Mm-hmm. You know, you bring in Chris Slade. I think Chris Slade has the potential to be a very good recruiter. He's coming from high school, so that'll be a bit of an interesting transition. So you bring that element in, but you also bring kind of this, uh, this service aspect, this, you know, for lack of a better word, discipline aspect that these service academy coaches bring in. We now yeah. have three coaches coming from service academies, that being – John Rodzinski, the defensive coordinator coming from Air Force. We have Kevin Downing, who was previously the Navy D-line coach. I'd imagine he's going to coach the D-line in some capacity here. And Kevin Gaither, who came from Army. He was their wide receivers coach. It looks like he's probably going to be in the defensive backfield, um, coaching one or both positions there. So anyway, you like bring these interesting groupings together, these UVA guys and these East Coast guys, and you're pairing them with you know, the service academy element. Mm -hmm. So I think you've seen a culture, a UVA culture, a culture of 
you know, honestly, similar to what Bronco had of effort, of discipline, but you're just seeing more roots in the East Coast. And, you know, I've heard other people say this. We're starting to realize that this is the more traditional way that college football staffs are constructed as opposed to the Bronco method where everyone came with them from BYU. Not to say one is necessarily better than the other, but I think we're going to see a more traditional college football model uh, under Tony Elliott. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree, and I I have a question. Do you know if if um, Elliot has a any connection to the service academy, or why he or why we're getting all these hires from the service academy, or if it's just like a random thing that that's happened? Yeah, I don't think it's random. I definitely think it's intentional, and I think that's something that's manifesting itself um, and the way this process has gone about. Again, mm-hmm. another quality that's very similar to Bronco is I think they're both, you know, sound thinkers and I think they're very intentional and the way they conduct business. And Bronco has that from kind of his business teachings and all the books he's read. Um, You know, I would say Tony Elliott gets that more from his engineering background and he's very detail and process oriented, which has been well documented. So I, that's to say, I don't think it's an accident but I think Elliot is doing a good job of trying to fit these guys to the culture of UVA. You know, mm-hmm. we know that UVA is not necessarily big time football. Yeah. You know, it's going to be hard for us to go out and compete, um, you know, with guys in the SEC. We're never going to sell kind of the same brand that UNC is trying to sell right now, for example. Mm-hmm. UVA is going to be kind of old school, blue collar. You know, we're going to have to you know, continue kind of the tradition and also the way just the program is structured um, through this coaching staff. So I think it's been intentional to bring those guys in. You know, it's certainly, you know, anyone um, who follows UVA probably knows by now that George Welsh came from Navy. So there's that service academy background. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it is just ringing true to a lot of the culture, um, you know, both within the school. And I think that he's trying to adhere to as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that makes a lot of sense, and I I agree. I I not I had forgotten that Elliot had an engineering background. So, in a sense, we're getting kind of another coach who's really detail oriented, but in a slightly different way. Yeah, and I think the kind of final piece to the puzzle here is how these guys are all going to fit together. Mm-hmm. You know, offensively, Kitchings is going to be the offensive coordinator. I would assume he's going to be the play caller, although that hasn't officially been announced yet. Um, we know that Hagens is most likely going to coach receivers. I think it's safe to say 2J is going to coach O-line. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we still have two assistant coach openings available. So, you know, I would imagine we're going to hire a quarterback's coach. We might hire a tight ends coach. We might hire a running back's coach. I guess we'll see how that plays out. The defensive staff is a bit easier to put together although it's a bit cluttered right now um you know we know symptom is going to coach the linebackers i think keith gaither will end up coaching the dbs like i said in some capacity whether that's corners and safeties or just one of the position units Mm -hmm. john radzinski or sorry kevin downing is going to coach on the d line in some capacity chris slade you think would coach on the d line although right now he might be my dark horse candidate to be special teams coach but none of these have formally been announced yet, these position titles. So we know there's going to be two more coaches added. And then uh, Tony Elliott is going to mix and match these guys to try to get 
the best staff and the guys in the best position as possible. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. Keith Gaither, he coached, he's coached wide receivers for the past decade plus. I think he last coached on the defensive side of the ball in 2008. So, you know, there's some mixing and matching going on. We saw that a little bit with Broncos staff last year as well. So the staff is still fleshing itself out, but from what I've seen so far, I'm, I'm happy with how it's come out. And I think my concern as well as many's was, you know, this defensive coordinator hire had taken so long. He didn't know if we were just striking out on guys or if there was a deliberate plan. And, you know, regardless if it was one path or the other, I think we ended up with a really good hire in this position. Yeah, yeah I, I'm really, I'm I'm excited. And the whole coaching staff is making me more excited than, than I have been in a while for football, you know, especially, you know, with the way last year ended and losing to Tech in the way that we did and then our bowl game getting canceled. I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever. And then... All of a sudden, the program is turned upside down. Uh, I feel like there's life in the program again, and I'm I'm really looking forward to to where where this program's taken. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to be excited again, like just rehashing all these comments because whether we've said them on Twitter to our friends, I guess we haven't said them technically on a podcast yet, yeah. but. I'm really happy with how the Tony Elliott hire turned out. I'm happy with the process he's taken. Once we get these coaches um, finalized, which it sounds like they will be soon, Mm -hmm. the next step is getting guys into the program. You know, we have, as has been been well documented, we have a lot of spots to fill for next year. There's the early, or sorry, the late signing period coming up in February in a couple weeks. But we're going to have to hit the portal pretty aggressively. You know, Mm -hmm. right now we're sitting at eight scholarship offensive linemen. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not much better on the defensive line either. So there's going to be a lot of work that's coming up for these guys. And they're going to, I'm sure, attack it deliberately. um, But they're going to have to attack it aggressively as well. So, I mean, there's no reason to think we're not going to be on the edge of our seats uh, (laughs) until the season kicks off in August or September or whatever it is. Because this is going to continue to be a crazy offseason. I agree. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be nuts, and I'm I'm excited for it, and looking forward to seeing all the transfers and everything. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see when the schedule comes out. You know, what what happens, and when we play games, and that will whole be a whole thing. So, and spring spring training this year is gonna be nuts because we're gonna have a, basically a whole new you know offensive line and a lot of new defensive players, and it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, no question. I mean, I'm thrilled for spring practice coming up. Um, honestly, with the spring game, I like Broncos' idea of earning numbers, but man, if they could wear numbers during the spring game, that would be huge for me. Yeah, really. <laughs> Trying to watch all those guys and never only being able to map out like half the roster. So, yeah. Anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm really excited for it. It'll be great. It'll be great. Rob, is there any last thing you want to talk about with. Um, with football or should we move on to uh, basketball? I think we're ready, man. I think, uh, I think it's time we kind of address this basketball. Thing. I think we need to address it. But first I do want to talk about our sponsor from Spotify green room. Spotify green room is a live audio only sports talk platform. It is free to download and free to use. You can talk to other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. And it is perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns and reacting to breaking news 
All you have to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app for free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join whatever group you want. Go and go ahead and download Spotify Greenroom today. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. So, Rob, I think this is a super mediocre basketball team which is not something that we're used to. And unfortunately, it's probably going to be one of the few times that we don't uh, finish at or ahead of where the ACC media predicted us to be. I think that at the beginning of the season, there's a lot of expectations put on Jaden Gardner and especially Armand Franklin and his shooting ability. And... Gardner's been great the past couple games, and his defense has really improved. But to be uh, frank, Armand Franklin has not necessarily lived up to the shooting expectations that a lot of people um, thought he could thought he could have. And you know, last year he shot forty two percent at Indiana, and this year he is not shooting that; he is shooting way less. So, Rob. Uh, I think just talking about the season, we can talk about the tech game in a little bit, but I think just starting off with like overall like feelings about the season, like what, what, how would you, what is a word to, that you would use to describe how this season is going so far? Um, average, average. you know, yeah. it, it feels like the first average team we've had in a long time. Yeah. That's probably where we're at. Um, and I mean that Armand Franklin number, by the way, he's shooting 22% from three on the season right now, Yeah, 19 for 85. So yeah, you know, he looked really good for a couple of games and then, you know, we just haven't had that shooting. And that's the problem is that it's not like this team is really lacking anything in particular. You know, some nights it's like, man, I wish we could shoot better. Other mm-hmm. nights it's, man, they really out excuse me, out-rebounded us tonight. You know, it's just... And some nights it's both, honestly. Some games have just been 
not very good at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it doesn't feel like we're like a piece or two away or that, you know, the front court is compensating for the back court like it was in 2020 or that the back or uh, that shooting is way better than like our post presence as it was last season. You know, this team just doesn't quite have the pieces this year, I think it's safe to say, to really get to that, you know, top, uh, you know, top two or three of the ACC mm-hmm. part, to, you know, potentially even make the tournament. I still think we're on the outside looking in, Yeah. Um, which is crazy. I mean, we haven't had that. The last time we missed the tournament was, what, 2013, I think? So it's been a long time. 2012. Okay, 2012. Well, yeah, 20, the 2012-2013 season. So 2013 yeah. tournament we missed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, senior year in high school was the last time yeah. we missed the tournament. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're just kind of average, and that's kind of who we are. I don't think the ceiling is – like, I don't think there's a clear path to getting to this higher ceiling. I think we just kind of have to grind it out and keep going. But uh, how do you feel about it? You know, it's, I mean, it's a little disappointing, but like you can't really fault people for the expectations that were put on them, right? Uh, And if you look at um, Armand Franklin, actually, I want to talk about him a little bit more because he is a really great scorer on the inside. His ability to get into space and find space in in the pain and, or, you know, around 15 feet out is pretty unmatched on this team and honestly reminds me a lot of how Malcolm used to be able to shoot the mid-range jumper in uh you know think about Malcolm in the Syracuse zone how he would just sit on the top of the key and just drain bucket after bucket it, it feels like that but he can't hit a three to save his life sometimes and this is not you know th- this is not new for Franklin uh in his freshman year at Indiana he shot 26.6% from three. And then he jumped up 16% to 42.4 his next year, sophomore year. Transfers to UVA, shoots 22.4% so far this year. So do I expect his average to go up a little bit as the season goes on as, and he gets more comfortable in the offense and we kind of figure out what we're doing? Definitely. But, you know... He's a lifetime streaky shooter. He's not a, and you know he's also a game by game streaky shooter. So we we've seen that this year even where he's made, you know, you know, five threes in a game, but he also at one point missed I think it was like twenty two in a row or twenty in a row. So I, I think it's just a really interesting case, and you know, frankly, it's. It's just, you know, the way it is. And he's not shooting well. And I think Tony's actually done a really good job of adjusting to the poor three-point shooting that we've had so far this season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the front court has at times played really well. Mm-hmm. You know, Kafaro last night was very, very good against Virginia yes. Tech. I'm still bummed he didn't get the double-double. He was sitting at nine rebounds for like half of the second half. I wish he would have gotten that double double. Yeah. Um, but we we've seen moments out of him uh, more recently, especially we've seen some great defensive moments from Caden Shedrick. I think we're still kind of waiting for him to put it all together on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that guy can block shots with the best of them in college basketball right now. And Jaden Gardner, it's just hard. You know, he has somewhat of a mid range jumper, um, so he's able to take advantage of that at times. But 
he's six foot six and you know, I, they might listen at six, seven. I think it's pretty well understood that he's six, six, which is extremely undersized for a power forward, yeah. especially a power forward that, you know, plays a more traditional game. He's not the stretch for, he's a more traditional for. So, you know, you do what you can with the front court and we've seen, you know, help uh, Tony Bennett will put Cody Statman in there sometimes in smaller lineups, sometimes Tane Murray as well. Mm-hmm. Like they're trying to adjust and they're doing the best they can, but you know, admittedly it's just a limited roster. And I think Jaden Gardner has played admirably and I think he's doing a good job. You know, I think he's a good ACC player. I don't necessarily think he's a player that can carry a team. And there's very few of those admittedly. Um, and then, you know, combine that with the fact that Armand Franklin is just not shooting it as well as you probably would have hoped when he transferred in. You know, I think that's where a lot of the upside this season came from, those two players. And I think Gardner has done about what you could have expected. Um, mm-hmm. But Franklin, he was coming in really as the guy that they were counting on to be a shooter. And it just really hasn't materialized. Yeah, and, and you know, we have had other success with other people shooting the ball. You know, Kihei is shooting the best of his career. He's shooting right now f- around 42%. Tane Murray is shooting, or sorry, Tane Murray's at 42. Kihei's at around 40. And, uh, Ma- uh, you know, Igor and Cody are hovering right around 38 and 39. So we have people who can shoot it. We just have someone who shoots a lot more who doesn't make nearly as many right so like Jaden or sorry uh, um, Franklin has shot 85 threes this year and only made 19 of them so it's not like it's not like he's not pumping them out and that's more than you know basically everyone else Kia shot 67 but that's because of necessity I mean Kihei's shooting really well this year and he's basically been playing the two guard because right now Franklin isn't shooting well. And Tony's adjusted so that we really don't shoot that many threes anymore. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the previous games, uh, we really don't shoot that many threes. Against North Carolina, which was a team that you know just blew us out of the water, I think we shot um, like 10 less threes than they did. Or something like that. It was um, just a lot. It was a huge difference. And it was the reason we lost that North Carolina game. Or not not the sole reason. You know, Baycott had an amazing game. But we shot three shots less than North Carolina. We only shot 3% less uh, percentage-wise than North Carolina. But we lost by around 20 and it had a lot of it had to do with the three-point shooting. Carolina made 11 threes, and I think we only made three or four. So it just didn't pan out, and Tony's been pushing the offense to go inside more, which is good because that's where our strengths is. That's where our strengths are, but we haven't been able to win a lot of games not making threes this year. Mm-hmm. And I think – Speaking of the North Carolina game, I think it's a good example because, like you said, you know, there were opportunities for UVA to at times even pull ahead there in the first half, although Mm -hmm. Carolina kind of snuck away um, towards the end of the first half. It kind of blew us out of the water in the second half. But I think it goes to show kind of 
what the makeup of this team is, because the reality is, is that we have a bunch of, you know, good average, some slightly above average ACC players on this team. And when they face teams that have similar roster makeups, Virginia is able to win some of those games. You know, they got blown out by Clemson, but they were able to beat them the second time. They beat Syracuse, beat Virginia Tech last night. But when they, when this UVA team is going to face teams with all ACC level players, you know, multiple of them, especially, I think that's where this team is just going to struggle to match up. Admittedly, at times, just kind of man to man, you know, against North Carolina, you saw just how dominant uh, Baycott was like Baycott was, it felt like he was unstoppable and then take it to Virginia Tech. I think UVA did a pretty good job at most of the game against Aluma. Um, but there were times where Kevin Luma just kind of took over for a couple minutes during yeah. that game. So, you know, I think Virginia just doesn't quite have the star power. I mean, looking at this roster, I think probably the preseason predictions of Kihei Clark and Jaden Gardner making some sort of all ACC team. I probably feel pretty good about that, but yeah. I don't think any of those are first team all ACC players or not even necessarily second team all ACC players. So this is just a team that's going to struggle to match up against top tier talent. And, you know, I'm not sure there's a great workaround for it, at least this season. No, I I agree. And I think, you know, talking about all ACC, I mean, I think, I think Reese could Frank, I I think he could honestly win defensive player of the year in the ACC. So do I. Yeah. I mean, he's really good. He's, he's incredible. He's locking down players. Uh, He had two steals last night and a block. Uh, He, he shut down, couture basically like i mean couture ended up with 10 points but he was making tough shots and so reese did a lot last night in order to kind of get us to where we need to go defensively and especially with our other great defensive player uh caden shedrick who just couldn't stay on the floor in the first you know got two fouls within three minutes in the first half and then just had a tough time guarding aluma you know uh Frankly, I, I Kafaro did a much better job guarding Aluma than Shedrick, which I would have never guessed last night. Yeah. Uh, so it's just kind of you know weird like that, and I mean, luckily Kafaro had the game of his life and got us out of that game. If you had told me Gardner went two of ten with four points, I would have said we lost, and luckily Kafaro was there to pull us out. This team's just weird, and I don't feel like our players are gelling at the same time, you know? Like, whenever whenever we have a game, you know, Kafaro gets 16 points, but Gardner only has four, and so we only win by two against Virginia Tech. And then there's other games where Franklin does really well, but then, you know, Gardner and Caden are in foul trouble, and so we can't really get anything going on the inside. And then sometimes Kihei goes off and has a really great game, but you know Reese can't hit any. Reese and Franklin can't hit anything. So I just feel like this team has yet to really gel on the offensive end, and I think we can get there. But you know, it's, it's we're just running out of time. And I was I was telling you this earlier. You know, just looking at the schedule, it's it's tough to see a scenario where if we lose a couple easy games that we make that we have any chance of making the tournament at this point, you know, we already have losses to Navy uh, and JMU, which are pretty unforgivable loss at Houston, 
is was bad, but it's understandable considering that Houston's really good. And the loss to Iowa at home was tough. Iowa seems like they're a pretty good team right now. I mean, they're 11 and 4, but you know, they'll probably make the tournament. That's a tournament team that we lost to. Uh Clemson's not great. And UNC is going to make the tournament, but they're not a great team either. So to make the tournament, I think we have to beat Duke at least once, which I'm not sure we can do. And we've got to beat a lot of these other ACC teams, like Miami, who looks good, Notre Dame, who's looking better, Louisville, who's always tough, Florida State, who looks bad, but you know who knows what happens when we play Florida State. So, And, of course, we have to play Tech again. So it's just... It's good. It seems unlikely to me that we'll make the tournament this year. It, it is kind of crazy to think that. And I know a lot of the people in their preseason ACC polls, a lot of people had the general consensus was UVA was going to be around fourth mm-hmm. in the conference. Yeah. Um, some people had them as high as third, others around fifth or sixth, but somewhere around that four range was pretty much where it was. I mean, hey, in defense, currently UVA is third in the ACC. I'm not sure that's going to stick there. I think that's a product of just kind of the early portion of the schedule, and it'll certainly flesh itself out over the next two months. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you know, and I think a point you made earlier as well is that the ACC just just is not as strong this year. And it's been a shame. The ACC has really been pretty down really since the year UVA won the championship. The past three years – have been pretty down years, all things considered, for the ACC. So, you know, there's just not that big opportunity for UVA to stack up quality wins. So I think, like you said, you have to go by the volume approach. If you can beat Duke, I mean, Duke's probably, like, at least at the moment, the last, like, headline-grabbing win that UVA could probably get. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, just kind of go from there, try to pick up as many games in the interim as you can and hope you don't drop too many more, but it kind of is what it is. I think, you know, everyone kind of expected this to be somewhat of a rebuilding year. And to an extent next year is going to be kind of a rebuilding year as well. Not so much as this year, but the idea of breaking in for new freshmen, Mm -hmm. uh, like that's going to take some time to do. And we saw that even with the Kyle guy, Ty Jerome, Jay Huff, DeAndre Hunter class, you know, that took some time to break in. So we're just kind of in this transition period of UVA basketball. I feel like, you know, that class that I referenced, the Ty, Mamadi, um, you know, Kyle Guy, Jay Huff, those guys, like that time passed. And now we're kind of in this phase where we're gearing up for what we hope is the second act of that performance, which is the class coming in next year. So, mm-hmm. you know, no one was really expecting Virginia to compete for a title this year. I think there was an outside hope that maybe they could surprise people and compete uh, for the ACC like they've done the past few years. That seems probably like a long shot at this point. But I think the best thing that could happen is Virginia just continues to build momentum. And I don't think Virginia is going to blow anyone out. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, maybe Pittsburgh, but that's pretty much about it. Yeah. Um, the rest of the season, I think for, it's almost like, I don't think the ceiling is as high as that 2020 team was that unfortunately was ended prematurely due to COVID. But I think the idea is the same is that you just have to win ugly and yeah. winning ugly counts the same as winning pretty at the mm-hmm. end of the day. And I think that's just going to be the mindset from here throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean that that's a great way of putting it. And you know, frankly, Duke is the only ACC team that's ranked right now. I mean, the ACC is really struggling with with just everything. And so we've got two of our two opportunities against Duke, but if we lose too many more games, it's not going to matter in the end. So uh, this team, as you said, just needs kind of a mass amount of wins. And I think it really starts with our next four games, which I think are all really winnable. You know, I they're not really impressive by any means, but if we can win the next four games, that would put us at 14 and six, eight and two in the ACC. And that would change the, I think the outlook, it would change dramatically. So we're, we have Wake Forest in two days on Saturday. And then we're at Pitt, which is a winnable game. Then we're at NC State on the 22nd. And then we have Louisville at home on, I think that's a Monday, the 24th. Yeah, big Monday game against Louisville on the 24th. So if we can win those four games, I think the outlook on the season changes dramatically. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that we would be in any sort of ranking talk or bracketology talk, but I think it would make UVA fans feel a lot more kind of at peace with it even if they are going full cardiac calves the whole the whole time. I'm fine with it as long as we win. I could care less how we win. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, that's just the reality. Yeah, I, I loved the game last night. It was stressful. I didn't go to sleep afterwards. <laughs> it was perfect. It's the perfect UVA game. <laughs> I mean, that's how they all used to be, too. Like, it wasn't yeah. until, like, really that 2013-14 season hit that, all of a sudden things got like less stressful, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. Um, I don't know. I, I guess, I mean, it seems kind of silly to ask this almost, but are there adjustments that you would like to make, whether it be in the rotation, um, and just playing time in general, or are you pretty comfortable with how, uh, things have progressed up to this point as far as roster and playing time is concerned? Comfortable is not the right word. I would use. I would not say I'm not comfortable at all with the way this team plays. However, I do think Tony is getting more comfortable with his rotation. You know, we don't see in the in the Virginia Tech game, we don't see several players who have been playing uh, of late, uh, which includes Tane Murray and Igor Milicic, two players of whom a lot of people would have probably liked to see a little bit of. And we did see Cody. Cody got 14 minutes. Carson got two minutes. Carson McCorkle. And Poppy, of course, got 30 minutes off the bench. But besides that, we didn't get a lot of, you know, besides Poppy, Carson and Cody only had two two points apiece uh, for 16 minutes. And, you know, that that's pretty standard, I think, for a tight Tony team, you know, not not giving a lot of people a lot of room if he's not going to trust him on the defensive end. And I think it's really clear right now, even though Igor and Tane have both shown that they can shoot the three pretty well, you know, Tane's shooting at 42%, although it is a limited sample and Igor's shooting around 38. I, I think that, I think he doesn't trust them on defense yet. And I think an, uh, an off season of work is going to be really helpful for them. But right now I think it's just, you know, you know, sit tight and, and hold on to your butts because this is going to be a, a rough a rough ACC season of close games, ugly, low-scoring games, 
and uh, not a lot of three-point shooting. We only shot 13 threes last night uh, compared to 50, 50, or no, sorry, 37 regular field goals. So, you know, we we don't shoot the three very well. I I wish, the one thing I would wish for is besides Armand making some more threes, I would love Gardner to get to the line more, especially against bigger opponents. You know, we and we we've talked about we talked about a little bit about this earlier, but Gardner's really good at playing against people that are more his size on the offensive end. And mm-hmm. but when he sees a bigger opponent, it, it just it doesn't work out well. And you know, Kiva Luma did a really good job. And I think it was actually Justin Mutz who was guarding Gardner mostly. But Tech did a great job of making him uncomfortable. Uh, Gardner had four turnovers last night, which is pretty bad. It was half of the team's turnovers. And he he just was uncomfortable the whole night. So I, I my hope for him is that he can cr- continue to create contact down low, kind of like an Anthony Gill. I'm hoping that he can get his mid-range back on track. And I just want this team to go out and play as hard as poppy did last night i mean he if every player plays as hard as him poppy i don't know if you there was one sequence i remember poppy got uh popped in the face by someone he he was kind of dazed and we turned the ball over and then poppy runs down the court and blocks the shot uh on a layup so it was a really great sequence of of hustle and grit and just kind of the way that this team is gonna have to play this year so, what about you? New Year's resolution for the basketball team. What would you say, Rob? Man, I mean, I just want to shoot better. <laughs> I always <laughs> like it when we shoot better. Um, it's more fun. No, I mean, I think you bring up a great point. And I think, you know, that's kind of the double-edged sword with Gardner is everyone wants him to be kind of Anthony Gill mm-hmm. 2.0. And that is where all the comparisons coming in. I think, you know, in a lot of ways, he still has shown similar traits. I think he... Gil was just so good you know yeah. it, it's unfair almost to kind of ask him to be that but I think he has done well yeah. um I also agree you know with what you said with the minutes you know last night five players played 30 or more minutes mm-hmm. um of the bench you know really I mean Kafaro played 30 minutes Shedrick was in foul trouble and then injured for a bit um I mean, Cody Satman played 14 minutes and then McCorkle played two minutes. So you're absolutely right. Like the rotation is tightening. I don't expect that to change. Um, Part of me would love for Tane Murray to get more minutes and really like just, I wouldn't mind, honestly, if he had Cody Statman's minutes or at Mm -hmm. least that volume of minutes that Cody Statman is getting. Yeah. Um, Just because I do think Tane Murray is a very high upside player and I think he struggles defensively right now. Um, I think he struggles rebounding right now, mm-hmm. but his offensive talent in this game, I think is already somewhat apparent. And yeah. I'd love for him if the opportunity arose to be able to capitalize a little bit on getting some minutes this year and building into next year. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, I I'm kind of with you. Like, I feel like Tony Bennett is starting to get comfortable with this team. I, we're starting as fans starting to get a feel of, I think what this team is going to look like the rest of the season so mm-hmm. I, I don't have too much to more to critique, honestly. No, and you know, I I think that as the season goes on, a lot of times Tony uh-huh. will 
get the freshman in there and, you know, in certain situations and get them some run. Like, you know, he put Carson in in the first half and Carson made a couple mistakes, some really bad mistakes in the first half and Tony yanked him. But, you know, he's getting minutes here and there. So I think he I think Tony really tries to put freshmen in to get some quality minutes. And, you know, if you think back to when Kyle and Ty were freshmen and, you know, Dre wasn't playing yet and. They honest, they didn't really play that much until, and they didn't play well until ACC season. And you know, you know, we, Ty's coming out game was against Villanova when we lost on the tip end shot to DiVincenzo, and we, uh, um, what was I lost my train of thought? And Kyle, Kyle had you know flashes throughout the season, but he was really inconsistent, you know, with the man bun, and and so <laughs> I think I think Tony. And of course, Tane Murray and Igor are not not Kyle and Ty at all. They're very different players, and they're developing at a much different pace than them. But I think that it. I think Tony will try and get them in, especially you know, Igor. I hope Igor gets a little bit more minutes. He's so he's he's really raw, and you know those those Eastern European guys. He's built like he's built like a like a man, and he's only eighteen or nineteen, and so it'll be. I'm interested to see if Tony can find minutes for those two, especially in ACC games, maybe on the road, where we can get some film for them because it's really, they learn the defense best when they are playing the defense. And so if they can get in and play a little bit, it'll get it'll get better. And, you know, Tane's played well this season. Tane has had some great moments. You know, think of the Iowa game. He almost brought us back. And he, he's made some shots. I think he had a couple shots against Syracuse. So it's not like he hasn't played at all. I think the matchup last night was not great for them. But, you know, against a team like Florida State where there's some bigger guys, you know, we might see more Igor, we might see more Tane. I think it just really depends, and, you know, I'm excited to see see what we do. All about matchups, right? All about matchups. It's just a bad matchup, you know. Yeah, bad it's matchup. fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And if I remember correctly, um, I want to say that, Villanova game time Kyle's freshman year that was like I feel like late January it was kind of like at a weird time so Mm -hmm. anyway I'm with you I think in spots um Tane and Igor will get their chances and you know the hope is that they are able to capitalize and Igor you know I've seen I'm admittedly less confident in my projection of him um than I am in Tane Murray and I think Tane Murray like you said is very very gifted offensively I think it's just been apparent this season where not necessarily because of bad positioning or bad effort or anything in particular but he has struggled to guard some people at times this season Mm -hmm. I think defense is the reason he isn't on the court which you know Tony Bennett is kind of the opposite of every other coach in America if you can't play defense you're not going to get on the floor so I feel like that's just kind of where we're at with him yeah and I mean that's what we're going to get and I think I think UVA fans at this point have to just be aware that that's what we're going to do and that's who this team is. So if if they can't handle this team, I think that, you know, you, you shouldn't be fans of, <laughs> of UVA. It's just that's just how it's going to go. Um so yeah, I I think I think that's all I have for UVA basketball. I mean, you know, I at this point, you know, I'm I'm wearing a national championship shirt right now. We are 3 years away or we're going to be 3 years removed from that championship in the in the spring. Um, I'm, I, I still enjoy it. I am, 
I'm not upset that this team is not great. I didn't expect them to be great. It's really rare for a team, uh, especially like Virginia, to have the success that they did and then lose everyone, go through COVID, have a weird year last year during COVID again, and then be totally fine. You know, we've had a lot of transfers. A lot of teams are struggling right now. I think that, you know, we just have to, I think we just have to do what we do. And I'm I'm excited to see what how what how that goes. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I I think as you said, this the past three years have been weird in general. You know, each of the past three basketball seasons have been affected in some way or another by COVID. Yeah. So you know, it's just uh, unprecedented times. Still, um, I think both uh, the 2020 and 21 season ended um, not the way we were hoping and. COVID played a large part in that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just kind of, we're rebuilding. I'm excited for what the future holds. Um, and I think this season can be a foundational year if it's used right. So I, I'm i excited to continue keeping watching. And yeah, we'll, we'll just kind of keep on ticking and hopefully, you know, like you said, make some noise these next four games mm-hmm. and maybe we have a chance to string some wins together and make a tournament push. And yeah. I think, that would constitute a successful season. Yeah, and you know the cardiac calves are out in full force this year, so just enjoy it while you can. It's uh, it's gonna be fun. So, with that, I think we're done. Rob, thanks for the pod. I appreciate it. it's good talking to you, and we will see y'all next time. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Guys and Ties Pod. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Snapchat for all that bonus content at Guys and Ties Pod. If you want to. Uh, keep listening to us. Make sure to follow us on iTunes and Spotify. And we will see y'all next time we get a pot out. Go Hoos. Go Hoos. Go Hoos.